I never had taken a photography class. I always loved to photograph and capture the moment and the spirit. So I felt like an imposter, right? And it didn't matter that people were like, oh my God, your work is great. Can you do this? I, like mentally, I was like, oh, I'm not there. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years, and I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I want to share with you. And I am here to A, learn more because we're never effing done, and B, get you to a new level. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. My name is Melissa Manning. I am your host and the Audacity Coach. I am here today with my good friend, Andrea. She is a wife, a mom, a light seeker, a traveler, modern day gypsy with sophisticated taste, and she is the owner and photographer at Andrea B. Ballin Photography. She specializes in boudoir photography, capturing the beauty of every woman. She has one singular non-negotiable idea to help all women see the beauty, sensuality, and power in themselves without judgment or boundaries. I love her work. Every time I see her photographs on Instagram, I literally, my jaw drops open. Her photography is so beautiful. When Andrea got on Zoom, we immediately started talking and I, it couldn't be stopped. It was a runaway train. So um, we're just going to jump right into it. We're talking about filters. So that's the context of where we're jumping in right now. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy. I think that we are so prone and programmed to hate the way that we look that really we don't see our own beauty mm -hmm. that that headshot that I sent you I took that I want to say six years ago okay and I hated it I was like I look old I look terrible I look horrific I look this and that and now I'm looking at it and I'm like I look marvelous I was like what the hell is wrong with me yeah and all my life, right, programmed to see all the flaws, all the things. Yep. And then and later, the filters exacerbate that now. Well, I don't use any filters and I don't know yeah. how, but when I do post-produce post people's photos, of course it gets a filter and of course the skin gets softened and whatever. So it does lie a little bit, like I won't augment people's noses you're not gonna like make their waists narrower or something I I just I made a new friend in my building the other day and just like a cute woman uh you know normal whatever and so we were like oh yeah let's stay in touch like let's exchange Instagrams or whatever I look at her Instagram she looks like a freaking goddess like you know like a different person she looked like a different person she wasn't unattractive when I saw her in person she was normal she had some you know some weird teeth stuff and then when I see her in these images like her boobs are up and big and like out and like her hair is per I don't know just totally different person and I for the first time ever I was just like whoa this is kind of messed up 
when you see these images online, you literally have no idea who you're speaking to or dealing with because yeah. That and the crazy thing person. is before it was just the magazines, right. Or just the movies or the filters, but now it's everyone. Yeah. So you're like, what is real? What is not? And then it skews your own perception of what you should look like, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Cause I'm looking at you right now. And even with a filter, if you say you have a filter, holy crap, you are stunning. And so I say, send the photos without the filters, just do it Yeah. and manifest. Have you been manifesting? Have you been manifesting that perfect guy? I, I don't think so, to be honest, because the ones that I keep hanging out with are not him. (laughs) So I don't, you got to write it down and it sounds really stupid and you have to be grateful for him as though you already got him. Mm -hmm. There was a woman that came to one of the first talks, like one of the first Eduardo things that I've ever been invited to. And it was a small thing. It was before you joined. And I met her. She was like um, a coach, of course. We're all coaches these days. She was a coach you know, and she was like, I make my own life and I love to travel. So her whole thing was like teaching women how to build their businesses so they could travel the way that they want to. And that was her connection. And, you know, she wrote some posts on Facebook. I want to remember her name, but she was like, you know, last year I decided to write him down. Hmm. My ideal man. He had to want to travel. He had to be funny. He had to take me as I am and all of those things. And wouldn't you know it, I manifested him. Okay, and- I want to know what the time frame was because I've done this before. I think I've done it at least two or three times. I've written down like all the details. Maybe he has shown up and I've just poo-pooed him and I've just. Could I be- don't know. But it was pretty, like, it was within six months of her, like, like he manifested and they got married. Like, he was that perfect person. Now, here's the thing. When you looked at him, it wasn't like he was a looker, right? It wasn't like he was a, you know, model and he worked out and da-da-da-da-da. So when I met my husband, he was definitely not my type. I always went for the pretty boys. And even though I never thought, you know, they say that, you date men who are like within, you know, what you believe yourself to be your attractiveness level. Right, right, right. I, I never thought I was attractive, but I always went for like, oh my God, I love him. I want him. Right. (laughs) And oftentimes I would get him right. And he was beautiful. And of course there was always, you know, those flaws, right. Either he was a jerk or he was perfect, but he was boring and unmotivated. Like either he was a player or, you know, like he wasn't arrogant. a plan. He was sweet and kind of, he had a lot of things, but then, you know, like he never left the house. He never did the dishes. <laughs> like, okay. okay. You know. um, and then I met my husband and it was like, I connected with him like on a soul level. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't even like when we went on our first date, it wasn't even a date. It was just like, we we're going to go hang out and have some drinks. And I wasn't even drinking. I was doing like a fast or something. And so he thought I was pounding cranberry and vodkas and I was really pounding 
cranberry and soda. <laughs> well, we were there for four hours and just he got like, drunk. Did he get drunk and you were totally sober? No, he didn't know. He didn't oh, really okay, get okay. drunk. And we and we kept talking about like everything. And so we were having such a good time. So when he was like, Hey, I'm hungry, you want to go eat? And I was like, Yeah. So we went to Brooklyn and we were um I don't know if you remember, it's that Thai place in Williamsburg that was huge and used to be really See? famous and cool. See? Yeah, that place was awesome. It was like very cheap and the food was pretty good and it was yeah. a cool environment. Yeah. So we went there and at some point in the conversation, he fed me, like he put a <gasps> dumpling in my that's, mouth. Ooh, that's sexy. And I got kind of chills, but I was like, no, 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 no. We're not here for that. And then the back of my mind, I was like, what is he doing? And then he invited me for dessert at this place that doesn't even sell dessert, but he just wanted to keep the conversation going. Mind you, we met at 530 right after my job. Like I got out. Oh my God. So it's like what? One in the morning at this point? Midnight? It, it was past midnight. And he took me to the surf bar. You know, the one that has sand and tiki bar and yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. but he knew the owner, but they didn't sell dessert. Right. So she's like, there's no dessert. The kitchen's closed. You guys could stay for some drinks. Yeah. And we went to my car and we're still talking. And at one point he leaned in and kissed me. And it was like, you know how the Greek gods say that, like, we've, we used to be one and we've been splintered asunder and then you find your other half mm -hmm. and I was like holy crap I've been waiting my whole life for that oh my kiss. god <laughs> and we made out until my lips almost fell off I think it was like five in the morning when he finally got out of my car and went home and I was oh like, my god this is the best date ever <laughs> and um afterwards we I think we were dating for two years and we would wow. see each other like constantly. And then we moved in and two kids later, 16 years later, I was turning 31 when we met and he was turning 24. <laughs> so oh my God. That actually makes me feel good because a lot of the guys that I've been meeting lately are younger than me. And it's, you know, it's a, a thing. Like I still am seeing them and giving them a chance and like seeing how it goes. But it is something in my mind that like, oh, this exists. He's like five or six years younger than me. How do I feel about that? And on top of that, seven, he was also shorter and I used mm -hmm. to wear heels. And so I would tower over him and I had to get over that hang up. So it was a lot of things that like on paper didn't match up to what you thought you required. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, there's something super sexy about him, but it's not like he's that God. I'm in the same place where I think that I want all of these physical things <laughs> to match up to what I want. But then I've had experiences where just the energy of somebody and like the personality and all of the internal things end up making that person so much more attractive than when I first saw them. And then it doesn't even matter anymore because I know when I walk into a room like that, that just doesn't even matter to me whether or not people think that he's attractive because I know how attractive I find him. And I also know like once they start talking to him, everybody's going to love him because I know sort of like this secret that they don't know how special and awesome this person is. I've been noticing about myself lately 
how I, I think that I am much more superficial than I have acknowledged in the past. Yeah. I've, oh, I mean, I, okay, fine. I think most of us are, you know, cause we live in this perfectionist society where, especially for like what we were talking about a second ago, women are held to such high standards. And, and like, when we look at both men and women on television, we see these generally very attractive people. And so why wouldn't anybody want that? Right. Every, I think everybody does want that. So I don't, I'm not going to like be too hard on me or hard on you or hard on anybody who is a little bit super superficial, but I think it is important to be aware of it and be aware of when that is making the decisions for you. Like when you are saying no to somebody because they have a weird nose or because they have thin lips or because they're not tall enough, you know? Okay. And- okay. 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 Yeah, I'm going to stop you right there. Thin lips. No. <laughs> oh my God. I laugh at my daughter all the time. We're very, very, very different people. And that's a good thing that she's always like showing me all of these people. And I'm like, no. And my husband and I have this cool thing where, you know, I realize who he thinks is attractive and he totally has me read. And at one point he's like, do you have any idea why you think these people are attractive? What do they have in common? Huh? I'm like, uh, I don't know. He's like, well, their eyes are very far separated. So you're attracted huh. to people who have a big eye separation and people who have big lips and often like chiseled cheeks. But the eye separation is the first thing he's like, and all the women and all the men that you are like, oh, they're hot. That's what it is. Right. I was that's like, so interesting. Cause I've never heard anybody say that before. Like, so, you know, think like Kate Blanchett right? Like big eye separation. Um, Like so many people that I could probably send to you and you're like, huh. And also good lips. Now I laugh at my daughter because I'm like, you like all these people who have no top lip. And if they show up with no top lip, (laughs) there's nothing there. Go, bye. Which is terrible, right? You're Mm -hmm. like, because now I have no lips and definitely no top <laughs> lip with age. It's like, where did it go? Um, but yeah, that's the thing. And it's like, man, if I were single again, it would be tough. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, I mean, not because of how you look, but just because it's shitty out there. That's what I mean. Yeah. In every way. And my husband was like, you know, being the little guy in a world of macho guys, big guys, he's like, the reason that I got all the chicks is because I listened to them. He's like, women love to speak and they love to be validated and they love to have somebody listen, not talk at them or to them. Oh my God. He's yeah. Like, right. He's so he was, class. So he was like, I learned to listen and be the best friend. He's like, you would not believe how I scored. <laughs> And kind of when you look around, like even let's say New York City, and I'm sure like Miami, Mm -hmm. it's probably, you know, like the very hot woman who has probably all these deep seated insecurities, right? But then she is with some guy and you're like, oh, what does she see in him? Well, he's probably the guy who listened, told her she's Mm -hmm. beautiful. But then there's a lot of those guys who are total jerks and they take advantage of the pool of gorgeous, successful, powerful women who don't have insecurities, but they just can't find somebody good. And then they're like, oh, I found this guy and I'm willing to 
forgive certain things. And then he's like, well, hot women are a dime a dozen in New York City. <laughs> hot women are a dime a dozen in Miami. And I think that's where it becomes, you know, so polluted that, yeah. you know, I have a friend, we used to work in advertising together. She was the creative director and she makes me feel like the United States as a whole, unless you find some sweetheart guy from the Midwest who is not like, you know, a religious freak or whatever, like that's where you got to go because she she's from Virginia. She went to ad school in Miami. She's lived in New York for over a decade. After we worked together, she moved to New Mexico and then she lived in La Jolla and then she was in Tennessee. And she's like, she still hasn't found somebody. She's like, and, and I love her to pieces because she hasn't given up. Right. She hasn't hasn't given up. How old is she? She's like, you know, like everywhere you go, it's like they're either so self-involved yeah. or they have crazy mommy issues or they're perfect. But then they're like, you know, re- religious extremists or yeah. then she met I was in La Jolla when she met this like amazing European guy and everything was going great. I introduced them. I was the wing woman. And, and then he's like, oh, and I worked for Monsanto. And she was like, I got to go to the bathroom. Can you come with me? And she's like, wait, 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 what is that? I don't remember. I've heard it before, but I don't remember. Monsanto. Yeah. So Monsanto is the one with Roundup and weed killer and genetically modifying seeds. And they're basically Uh killing the planet by creating all of these uh, genetically modified foods and weed killers that now are found to cause cancer, not just in small animals, but oh, in great. humans. So they're, they're basically like the villain. They're the bad guys. They're really, really bad guys. Right. And so she's like, he works for Monsanto. We got to run. <laughs> <laughs> See, why, why, why can't he work for like a nonprofit that's like healing the planet? Why does he have to be? Or like, uh, I mean, I mean, you don't, you don't have to just don't just don't be the evil guy don't be right? the villain yeah don't be, don't be the villain but i keep telling her too i'm like you gotta manifest and i never believed in that woo stuff yeah and then i did um a coaching program that was ten thousand dollars when i didn't have ten thousand dollars ten thousand dollars with krista maola who is like a big name in boudoir photography okay And literally one of the biggest things I learned from her is gratitude, right? You set the stage with gratitude and then, and then you manifest, you, you, you write it down, you breathe it in, you tap it in, you know, and my business has been flourishing and things that, so anytime I do it and I'm guilty of always being good to myself, doing good things and then. And then it goes out the window. You will have it because habit's hard. Yeah. I'm really bad to sticking to good habits. I don't know why my whole life I've been the same. I'll get on a good track. I'll get motivated. God, if I get something in my head, the willpower and tenacity and grit, right? Yeah. But then I get a good thing going and then. Whoosh. Huh. What sign are you? 
uh, I'm the first day of Taurus. Is that a Taurus thing? Like maintaining? Is that hard for Taurus? Um, Tauruses are supposed to be lazy, homebound, wanting luxurious things, stubborn. So maybe, so maybe that's the part of you. Maybe it's the Taurus part of you that's making you stop doing the good habits. And maybe it's like your rising or your moon sign. That's the one giving you that tenacity in the first place, but then it's like not strong enough to keep the Taurus from stopping you. So maybe you have to look into how you can boost up that, that like strength, you know, I, I I've been doing a lot of, you know, looking inward um since I was a kid and and like I've noticed things about myself like in my 30s leading into 40s I realized that the reason that I always failed was not I think I was afraid of succeeding if that makes sense I'm like owning my power right yeah um and and this thing of time like I'm afraid of people dying, things ending, you know, like when summer ends, like end of August, I already start getting depressed, like the anticipatory end of good things. (laughs) And so like, I don't know, like, I I just have issues (laughs) that I need to work on. Well, I think most, especially women are scared of success. I think success for women means a lot of negative things in our minds. The the story is a lot of negative things. Like if we're too successful, we're going to make other people feel uncomfortable. We're going to make other people feel bad about themselves. Other people won't want to be around us if we're too good, if we're too successful, if we're too big. And then that equals rejection, which equals death, really. Like biologically, it means death. So for men, it's the opposite. To succeed for a man means you're taking care of your family. It means survival, right? For women, it means you're alienating people. So I think there's a big difference. I think, of course, men can have the fear of success as well. I think they can self-sabotage and hold themselves back, of course. But I think it's just more rampant in in females. I've never never had that thought. I've never made myself small or needed to compare that way. Okay. Uh, growing up, I was the kind of person I remember being in the third grade and no younger, maybe first grade, three mistakes on a page. My mom would tear out the page, start from the beginning. And so I think a lot of things started there where I, I needed to be perfect right I needed and and that expectation I I think part of it was that expectation that paralyzed me in a lot of ways right because I felt that if I wasn't going to meet that expectation don't even try because then too like I would get 98 on a test but then she'd hear that that some other kid who was a guy in the class got a 99 or maybe on an essay right because that's more subjective and then she would bring me in to talk to the teacher well I read that essay. Why didn't my daughter get a 99? Right. So no matter how close you got to perfection, it had to be perfect. Yeah. And so when in college, I started dealing with a lot of like, you know, I've had autoimmune disease since I was 16 years old and that affected, you know, sometimes like feeling depressed. And in college, it was like a bunch of events where two people who I wasn't necessarily close with, but 
you know, in my family died in very tragic ways and that really like affected me. And at the time I was on the pill for, um, it was an endometriosis. They called it functional dysmenorrhea, but it was like, I've given birth to two kids. I didn't experience that kind of period of pain, you know, where you're like oh. writhing on the floor and you can't even move type of pain. Yeah. And so for a few years I was on a pill and now they had moved me to this other pill. And within three months of this pill, I gained a tremendous amount of weight. Like I just ballooned, my hair yeah. started falling out <gasps> and I became so depressed and nobody knew what was happening. And, and you know, like, that was happening and I failed all my classes like I shut down like that was that was the thing where I was like I I I can't (laughs) I can't do anything I was afraid to tell my parents here we are immigrants I'm going to Barnard which Ivy League expensive you know like they're sacrificing so much to help me I'm working three jobs to put myself through it oh my god yeah this this so your first generation uh like going to college and stuff and no 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 so so back in Romania my uh my mom went to film school and then she ended up working in television and then my dad had a graduate degree in economics so definitely not first generation but my parents were first generation okay to go to college and whatever. And then so there was a lot of pressure on you though. Well, to like, you know, coming here to the United States. Right. And they see the movies and you kind of believe the movies, right? Like if you go to Ivy league, you'll make the connections. And the reality of it is, you know, I commuted from Flushing Queens to Barnard, Columbia, which was an hour and a half trip each way. And they had a commuter lounge, which is like, you know, as if you weren't alienated enough, there was this tiny room with like three other people who were like, yeah, we don't know anybody either. Oh, <laughs> so, and you think that that would bond you, but it didn't. And then, you know, I never went to a frat or sorority party. I never really did any of those things because A, I was so far and B, yeah. I, I was bartending I was babysitting and I was working almost a full-time office job. (laughs) Talk about pulling yourself by the bootstraps, right. To make it happen. And when I, when I got out of college, you know, the expectation was like, Oh, you made all these connections and life is going to open up. And it wasn't like that at all. Nobody gave a hoot about being a Barnard graduate and what that meant or, you know, uh Columbia whatever um I ended up in advertising like I said you know my friend that I was telling you about and it was like you know you didn't go to ad school right it's always like those points of validation well you can't write copy or you can't be a creative because you didn't go to ad school (laughs) um and and ultimately you know my soul was always like I'm an entrepreneur (laughs) And I'm a creative, right? I felt like I was never happy and I couldn't tell why. And so for a while I left advertising and I had my own catering gig and then the health issues came in and all of that went to poop. (laughs) Oh, and then, you know, 
I met my husband. Um, we moved in. We thought we couldn't have kids. And so honeymoon and then miracle kids. Um, and, you know, had to go back to the corporate world for that. And I was miserable. Yeah. And I got laid off six and a half months pregnant. I was working for a place in the village um, and, uh, you know, it was a big construction company where I had taken a job. I was like, I can't work advertising lawyer hours for McDonald's pay. Uh, I had come in an apartment of 12 people. And by the time I left, it was me and the media director. And anyway, so I was like, I'm just going to take whatever job until I figure what my soul really wants me to do because it isn't it. And I was, you know, I was there um, and it was like first, I mean, last one in, first one out. They laid me off with five other moms who were pumping, (gasps) five in the same building. And I was six and a half months pregnant. They took us all into a room, made us sign like a, you know, document that we wouldn't sue. And that was. Why did you sign it? Um, I think it was that immigrant mentality and fear. I didn't know that there are resources available to women. I didn't know that, you know, I had an inkling that I could sue, but at the same time, I was like, my husband had just been laid off. I already had a kid at home. I was supporting us. Right. And then I was like, what do I do? I didn't know that I could, you know, get insurance through Medicaid, I could get all kinds of help because I was taught, like, you don't ever go for social services. You don't ever do that. You know, you're here and you're here to always be tough, be strong. Right. And so I didn't know that those options were open to me. I remember I was crying on my way home and my husband was like, why are you crying? This is the perfect opportunity for you to figure out what you want to do. Just a quick break to let you know this podcast is made possible because of the Audacious Founder Business Coaching. If you are an entrepreneur looking to build your business bigger and make more of an impact, I am offering you here and now a free 30-minute Audacity session where you will audacify your goals and create simple action-oriented strategies that take the stress out of growing your business. Go to my website and fill out the form on the contact page to schedule yours today. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I did creating it, so let's get back to it. So is that when you started? Well, so I had been photographing at my at job. Um, We had a big client. They created platforms for traders on Wall Street. Okay. And the company, like, it was a small ad company. Was it Fidesa? Oh, I worked for Fidesa my first job out of college. But anyway, go ahead. And um, started with an I. You know, you had to show up at the company parties. And I always found that if I was with a camera, I could be there, but not be there. Right. 
so you could be in the space but not be in the space. It was kind of fun seeing the world through the lens. It really is different, right? Even when you go on vacation, if you're always like this, you're missing actually yeah. the moment and what's happening, right? Yeah. You're capturing the moment, but you're not living the moment. And for me, that was perfect. I gave the pictures to my boss who didn't think that I was a creative and they ended up, I had not once, but a couple of publications in Trade Magazine where they published the parties. And then at the new job, right after I had Phoenix, uh, my daughter, I would put up her photos on the walls and somebody was like, oh my God, these are fantastic. So I got hired to do a baby shower and then I got hired to do a wedding. And then people were like, hey, can you take some of the photos? And I was like, there's something to this. Yeah. But because of that experience in advertising where they're like, you know, you can't be this because you didn't do that. Yeah. Like, I never had taken a photography class. I never, like, I always love to photograph and capture the moment and the spirit, right? But I, so I felt like an imposter, right? And it didn't matter that people were like, oh my God, your work is great. Can you do this? Right. I, like mentally, I was like, oh, I'm not there. Right. And then um, when I, you know, when I got laid off and I'm crying and my husband's like, this is an opportunity. Um, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And he was dying and I took ah. it and he said, promise me that, that you will help other people and make them feel good and make them feel good inside. So I didn't know what to make of that, but I became a doula, which is a birth coach. Oh, okay. Right. I was like, I'm, I'm going to use an opportunity to help other women in their birth experience. Um, because I didn't necessarily love mine. Um, do you think at that time you knew that you should have pursued photography, but you were avoiding it by doing the doula stuff? Um, I think that at the time I was a little bit lost. My husband was actually had started working as a photography assistant to somebody who had been doing, you know, photography forever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, can I come and learn a few things, right? Technical things and whatever. And I was like, no, this guy's really serious and he's not going to feel cool about, even though they were friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you love to photograph people, but we photograph art in art galleries. And so, uh, you know, when I became a doula and, I, you know, like that thought had been ruminating through my head, like I need to do something. So I'm more legit. So I actually took a five hour class under the Brooklyn like in Dumbo under the Brooklyn bridge, they had this photography school yeah. and I just took a five hour class where they show you the camera, you know, Amazing. what's ISO, what, you know, how do you create bokeh? And um, there was this clicking moms community. So other than that five hour class, I basically learned from doing other moms, other people in the community, like doing it. So I started offering it to my maternity clients. I was like, hey, mm. right? How do you feel about, you know, and at first it was just free. I didn't even I was going to, my question is too, how long did it take you to start charging? Not a lot because yeah. in order to become a doula, um, I offered a bunch of free births, right? And uh, I noticed something very interesting people don't appreciate free. Right. And, and, you know, they will cancel on you at the last minute or they just don't think 
they just don't think that you're worth it or what, or what, what you're offering is worthwhile, right? They don't think that you have, what you don't think you should be charging for it. Why should they value it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so with photography, you know, I started charging and I was doing what other people were doing at the time, what other photographers are doing at the time, which is unfortunate because a lot of photographers start out as moms like I did, right? Taking photos of their kids and deciding that they love this and they want to offer this to other people. And it's amazing. And they don't, they don't value themselves in their work and they don't charge enough. And what that does is it actually brings the market down. Okay. Right. Because at the end of the day, right. If you, because if they can get it for free over here and then you're charging, I don't know how much you charge, but like $500 for two hours or something, I don't know. Um, why would they pay 500 when they can get it over here, but then they're not really going to appreciate what they're getting over here, but at least they saved money. Right. So, um, I started charging, I was doing, you know, and then when I started working with coaches and other things, right. I understood that. Okay. First of all, yes, I'm an artist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which took so long for me to say, like, I think until I was 42, I never even said I was a woman. I always used to call myself a girl. And if you look wow. at me, and if oh, you look that's, at- oh, but that's such a, I want to like stop on that for a moment. Okay. This is something that I've only realized in the last maybe year to two years is that whenever I am speaking about a woman uh, and if I say the word girl, I I'm noticing that it's invalidating for her. And now when I hear other people call a grown woman, a girl, I correct them. It's not a girl. And then they're like, Oh, so I don't know if it was men who've argued with me, but it was somebody who was like, I think it was a man. He was like, well, it's girlfriend and it's boyfriend, but I don't get offended. If you call me a boy, okay. Like shut up. But like, I'm not a girl. A girl is like 12 years old. I'm a woman. And so it took you, you said until 42 to start calling yourself a woman. And then if you look at my logo, Uh Andrea B. Ballon photography, it's an all in lower cap letters. Because I was like, who am I to even capitalize, you know, like my initials or my name? That's so interesting too, because it's something that probably nobody really thinks about. If they're making their logo, they don't think, I mean, obviously their designer, whoever is making it should be thinking about those things. But like, for example, I, mine is audacious founder and my logo is in caps, but I noticed that a lot of times I would be writing things in lowercase when it came to, I don't know if it was like quotes or just writing the name audacious founder or, you know, writing certain words or certain things. And I noticed that, no, 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 this needs to be in caps because this is audacious. This is loud. It needs to be loud. And so that's, yeah, you were keeping yourself soft. Yes. Being loud. Correct. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't believe in, in my power and my talent and all of those things. But yeah. so here's the crazy thing. And, and I think about it a lot. So first year that I'm photographing, right. I see this competition came into like 
my Facebook feed or whatever. And it was uh, the exposure award or something like that. And uh, part of the award was having a one day show at the Louvre Museum in Paris. Holy cow. And I submitted one of my maternity clients and a photo of my daughter where like super soulful I think her brother slapped her or something oh. like it was like sunset at the beach and we're against this tree and she wanted to you know look gorgeous and like he pinched her or slapped her or something and she looks so heartbroken sad, like broken yeah and I submitted those two photos and both of them got accepted. And oh my like, God. I wish I could have flown to Paris, but at the time I was oh. like, I'm a starving artist supporting But did you friend. even tell people about that? Did you scream that from the rooftops? I did. Okay. Okay. I good. did. And that was like, that was one of the things that said to me, you know what? You, you are an artist. Your work is valid. You, you were in the Louvre. it doesn't get much better than that honestly we're there to like see it and experience it and it would have felt so amazing but you know I I feel that there are other opportunities but that was a defining moment and like heck yeah girl you are a woman heck yeah girl you are an artist you know and then it you know, it took longer to be like, heck yeah, your work, work needs to be valued. And you need to understand what being a business person is like, because a lot of clients are like, well, you charge a lot. And I don't know. But then it's like, do you have any idea? First of all, you know, aside of the time that you see that we are together, mm-hmm. I spend hours four times that just in calling photos. Mm-hmm. making sure you see the best ones I don't want you to see photos where you're like cringing like <laughs> right I want you to see the beautiful you yeah. right and then aside of that you know like all the costs that go into business I love to learn from other photographers all the time right so you have those courses and equipment and insurance and da, 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 da. so by the time you factor it in I did my taxes and I almost fell over because I was like, last year was my (laughs) best year in business. It's amazing. And then by the time I put my expenses. Oh, it wasn't that good. (laughs) I was like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. And this is why. Yep. Right. This is why. Because a third of what I made in gross was actually business expenses, right? For my studio, for my business. That's not bad. That's good. And then, you know, like a third goes to taxes. (laughs) There's taxes, like death and taxes, right? Those are the things that, Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, that's, that, that's uh, the learnings that I've gotten and matured, right? To own myself as a woman, to own myself as a business owner, to own myself as an artist, so it doesn't necessarily help us to think about what if, right? But for those who haven't gone through this entire process yet, uh-huh. what if you had acknowledged your talent? And like, what, what if when you first started doing this, you know, maybe three months, six months after you first started really starting to pursue photography, what if you had just been like, you know what? I am an artist. 
I'm really good at this. I'm going to start charging top dollar for this. Like, even if you weren't sure, but what would have happened? Like, where would you be now if you had acknowledged yourself and really like stood in your power back then? I'm going to take us back to college. (laughs) Okay. Because here I am in college and um, I had to fill up my humanities. I already knew that I love to photograph and I already realized that my photos were different. Now they call it lifestyle photography. I hated those pose pretty for the camera. Like I always felt stiff and awkward yeah. and weird. And I love to like be, be that fly on the wall, right? And capture mm-hmm. that beautiful light and the people like they're smiling and enjoying themselves. And so in college, I had to fill up my humanities. And, you know, I said to my mom, I want to take a photography class, learn the dark room, learn the camera. I, I love Vogue. I want to travel the world. Like even then I was like, I want to travel. I want to be a travel photographer. You know, Nat Geo is amazing, but like Vogue. And she was like, oh, it's $750 a credit times three credits. You know, you could always take a photography class when you're out of school on your own. Yeah. Right. And that was that dream deferred. I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, but that is my huge one. If and she and I talk about it all the time, I'm like, imagine you hadn't said that to me yeah. and you actually allowed the immigrant mentality to think because you went to film school, right? You weren't a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, you went to film school. So you should have recognized that maybe I am an artist. And even though I'm smart and I'm getting all the top grades and the honors and da, 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 I'm not going to do something in life that's kind of expected right. of me. Uh, I remember at, at that, uh, you know, one of the ad agencies, <laughs> oh, God love him. My boss drew a picture of me of how I would succeed. I wish I would have kept it because that would have been a nice lawsuit too. You know, like a Mad Men thing where it was like an agency where everybody dresses down. He ironed his jeans. Um, (laughs) He drew drew a photo of me with like my hair in a bun and wearing glasses. I don't wear glasses and like a white high collar shirt and a, you know, very fitted pinstripe gray suit with pumps and pearls. And I almost wanted to vomit when I looked at that because I was like, that is not me. Yeah. I took a pay cut to be at this ad agency because (laughs) I thought it was like very artsy and open-minded. And yet here is this wall that you're presenting me with. And even when I was leaving college, my dad was like, well, what about a job in finance? You know, he loved numbers. I've always been afraid of math. And I'm like, (laughs) ooh. I literally said to him, ooh. Pearls and pumps. Mm, no. Right. Oh. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that dream deferred. So it's like, okay, well, I can't follow their dream. And apparently I can't follow mine. So I'll try something in between that didn't hit my soul. Right. You know? And then, yeah, I mean, when I first started, I've been spending a lot of money on education from the beginning like insane amount of money on coaching and education and you take what you get and sometimes you're afraid to listen. So then Mm -hmm. what if I had listened to one of my first coaches who was like niche down, 
you don't need to offer all the things that don't right. bring you joy right. because you love to photograph women and there's a niche for that. Mm-hmm. But there's that fear, right? The fear of not, not enough. Being able to pay my rent. No, I'm not going to get enough work. I'm not. Yeah. And you know what? Not true. <laughs> Niching down and going back. Cause I started photographing my maternity clients and then it was like, can you photograph birth? Sure. Amazing. And then it was like, do you do newborn photos? Yeah, I could do that. And then babies turning one and then family photos. And I love doing outdoor family photos, but I hated the dynamic. Right. Mm. Right. Like mom being upset at the kid. Cause like the kid misbehaving I love kids when they're themselves right and they're interacting naturally right and not like posy um and then you know then you get gorgeous photos but then dad is like well you got my bold spot can you fix that (laughs) and like mom is looking gorgeous kids are looking great he's like I look kind of fat in those photos (laughs) and I was like enough I can't I can't do this anymore I'm gonna rein it in yeah. to celebrating women even now like you know men husbands significant others are allowed to sit in okay as long as they celebrate as long as they celebrate the person sitting next to them I had a client recently where that didn't happen <gasps> and it almost made me question like what was I- what was he doing it just kind of became everything about him and obviously the things that he loved about his wife, but all the photos that she, you know, like we sit on a zoom before the shoot. I don't want to be a stranger with a camera and I want to find out a lot about what do you find sexy, right? right? What do you love about your body? What do you want to celebrate? What's your inspiration for the photos? And this woman had come in with a beautiful vision board and we like worked on like creating all these images for her. And then the way that he was talking, not just about the photographs of her, but what he was implying was just like, yeah, I don't think you look sexy enough in that. I, yeah, you know, like, I don't like cutting her down until she didn't believe in herself. And And the whole point of this type of photography is for her to feel beautiful, not even necessarily. I mean, yes, a lot of the photos are sexy, right? But it's just, it's to feel beautiful. It's to feel desirable and, and yes, sexy, but for yourself, like in those moments, it doesn't matter what he prefers, what he finds sexy, what he likes. It's not about him. And he was making it about him and cutting her down in the process. In all the years I've been doing this, I've never had a partner do that. Normally they, you know, like. They're excited by the whole thing, right? Well, a lot of them are nervous, right? Because they don't know what to expect. And, you know, they either have no idea what boudoir is or they think that it's like, you know, something porny. Yeah, when it's not right. So they're sitting there kind of like angry and anxious. I can't believe my, you know, fiance, I can't believe my wife. Right. Huh, so, so they're judgy. They're a little judgy about it because women want to, well, so this is something, I mean, I, I say a lot of stereotypes here. I know because I feel like a, a lot of them we internalize and hopefully a lot of us are past them, but for some of the women who are not, maybe saying them, maybe me saying them out loud will help you acknowledge them and yourself and, and get past them. But I think, um, 
there's this stereotype where like if a woman wants to be sexy, whether it's dressing or taking photos or she enjoys sex, she's a slut. And I think yeah. that still exists in our psyches. Oh my God. So and then, so. and, and then for these men, like, that's why the ones who are judgy, that's why they're judging because, oh, my, my wife or my partner wants to take these sexy photos. Oh, like she wants to be a porn star. There's a stigma around that. Right. Like she, my wife is, she's modest. She can't want to be like posed in this way or photographed in these type of clothes. Cause I that think, means something about her. I, I, I think that instead of them thinking, you know, fine art magazine, right. Yeah. Which is like a lot of my approach to my photographing my clients. I think they're thinking hustler. Yeah. And it's never that. And so, but even you, if, because I know that that, that could be course. a kink for some women, even of if course. that's the case, Absolutely. why is that something to be ashamed of? It's not. Right. It's not. It's the preconceived notion of what has she done and who does she do it with? Right. Right. Or what who might she is, be doing behind my back? This photographer. Uh-huh. But then they see the photos and they're and they're like, drop. Right. Exactly. You know, so we brought up a few points here um, that I want to go back into. And, you know, well, before we do, I do want to define what boudoir is because for yeah. a long time I didn't know what it was. And so I'd love for you to just say what exactly boudoir is yeah so boudoir photography is photography of women that is a a, you know sensual seductive intimate nature um that could be in various states of undress right from lingerie to maybe seductive sexy type like i photograph boudoir photos and maybe not necessarily but women are fully dressed they mm-hmm. you know they're like i chickened out at the last minute you could still take a very sexy central photo where you're not a lingerie though typically a boudoir photo is some sort of lingerie ish type of outfit all the way to partially nude or implied nude like bed sheets or you know too fully nude and so what is the difference then between that and something that you might see in Hustler or a pornographic? Um, I would say that one is erotica, mm-hmm. right? Which is very explicit sexual. So almost the intention is what's different. I think so. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, and I could be wrong in saying this, and I don't like stereotyping, but maybe the gaze, right? So the intention uh-huh. and also the gaze, right? right? I feel like a lot of... Um, Hustler, right? That's made for the male gaze. That that's certainly not made for the female gaze, even if the female appreciates female bodies. Right. Right. Whereas I think too, the thing with boudoir, and I say this a lot, is women giving themselves permission to be seen the way that they want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And so our Zoom consultation always focuses on that. And I always say to them, I, every woman's idea of sexy is different from the other woman. I'm sure what I find sexy is very different than you and you from your best friend or your mom. Or, and so I want to know what inspires you mm-hmm. because I could think romantic, right? Or I could think super edgy or I could think BDSM. Maybe your idea is none of those. Maybe, right. you know, you want completely nude in nature 
or <laughs> you know like maybe you know calvin klein like undies and a you know tank top i had a woman and you know she was like i've been through a really bad breakup and i've been boxing and i want to incorporate my pink boxing gloves in my boudoir photos i love it and they're powerful and sexy as hell and Uh so every woman's idea of sexy is going to be different in their elements right and a lot of times they could be different elements. Maybe you are romantic, but also edgy and maybe also, you know, very edgy. And then you bring in an element that to the outside world, well, what's sexy about that? Well, it's sexy to you because now you're taking power and ownership over you, your body and your beauty, and you're not going to let anybody mess around with that. So it's kind of literal and metaphoric. So how have you seen this change women like, or, or have you noticed how it changes women? You know, they'll come in and they'll be very shy, maybe disempowered when it comes to their body or their sexuality, and they'll leave maybe glowing and feeling, you know, standing up taller and, you know, maybe pushing their boobs out a little bit more or a little bit of sway in their step. How have you, what, have you noticed anything like that? It's the reason I do it. Mm-hmm. I swear to God. I mean, you know, they say that the reason that we love people is because of how it makes us feel, right? How we feel when we are around them. And it's kind of like that. So most all women, I get texts before sessions all the time. Oh my God, I'm so nervous. I don't know if I could go through with it, right? And it's like, you're going to think I'm lying. I tell them, but almost every client is this nervous and it's their first time and that's okay Mm -hmm. you're gonna put that sexy music on and i'm gonna show you we're gonna do it all together right Mm -hmm. i'm gonna show you all the poses like the emotions that we talked about that we want to bring out we're gonna work it through you know and i could tell immediately when when something is off when something is wrong it reads wrong right and it's always like you could see it in the lips I always tell them to be mouth breathers, like they're trying to fog up a mirror, right? Mm -hmm. Silly things. And we laugh about how ridiculous some of these things are and exaggerated. And I think laughter gets them out of it. And I show them the back of the camera and they're like, oh my God, holy, that's me. And it's Mm -hmm. like, yes, it's you. And I think that's the only time when I say girl, I'm like, that, that, that's you girl, you know, (laughs) like you're a badass goddess. They're like, Oh my God, that, you know, and then they want to keep going. Right. They're like blossoming. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when they, you know, the back of the camera is one thing, but when you see your photo and you see it big, we sit on a zoom and they're looking at their photos and they're just like, I've had women cry. I've had women cry leaving their session just because they're like, overwhelmed with emotion and like just feeling like I I didn't believe that I could do this and I'm so glad that I pushed myself to do it mm-hmm. um I cry when I read their reviews and and the things you know that they say to me that are like so powerful um but I've had women I will never forget it was uh 
there was a woman that I met at, at, at one of, you know, the fearless the event. Fearless. Yeah. Uh, and I had done my talk on stage and, and she met me and, and she was, you know, she worked, you know, powerful corporate job. Um, she was approaching 50, something like that. Uh, and she was like, you know, all my life, I, I was told as a teenager in my family, they call me the ugly duckling. And it always oh stuck with God. me. And so here I am reaching this age. And I want to see was if she's single. Little... Absolutely. And she was like, um, and I want to see what the alternative is. And I was looking through your photos and I want to know if you can make me look like that. Oh my God. And the change in her you know first of all saying I will never call myself the ugly duckling ever and I will never allow anybody Someone else to, to speak yeah. that way about me because this is me <laughs> this is me and uh you know powerful things happen to her because once you stand in your power there's something about the feminine spirit that wants to look, I'm sure the human spirit not just the human the feminine spirit where you want to see your beauty validated, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and you stand differently in your power in the world when you realize that about yourself and you don't allow other people to take away that from you, right? So she went on, you know, I believe she left her job and started doing <laughs> other things in the world. Um, I have another client on my blog. When she reached out to me, I, I, thought, I thought she was putting me on. I was like, She's shitting me. I thought I was being scammed. You know, what as a you photographer, mean? you get scammed all. Because she sent me this gorgeous photo of herself. I was like, probably somebody took it off Pinterest. Uh -huh. And she was like, I don't, I don't see myself as beautiful. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. My husband tells me I'm beautiful. My friends, I don't see it. I look in the mirror. I, I, I don't get it. And um, I want to see if you could make me see that, right? So we had our photo shoot. She was definitely blossoming. We were having fun. And then after the photos, first of all, she was like, I definitely think that there is a disconnect between what we see in the mirror, mm -hmm. right? We, the way that we see ourselves, right? Yes. And then the way we see ourselves in a photograph, yeah. right? So with a photograph, she was able to connect. Like, I see what other people see. She was like, I'm hot. <laughs> um, I have a video review and testimonial. She's like, I'm hot. I'm amazing. And I'm like, girl, yes, you are. You've always been this, but now you see it. But amazing things started happening, right? She started feeling confident and posting her photos on Instagram. And then she's like, I can't believe that I only had like a couple of thousand followers, definitely not 10, but I'm being approached by brands who like want to do sponsorships uh -huh. and you know she was one of those moms well she is one of those moms who lifts okay. and she's like I didn't think that I would able be able to like train for Miss Olympia but this has given me the courage and the power to believe in myself and want to go ahead and do it and I was like I was just speechless like you're yeah. blown away there's definitely a transformation that happens to these women. And you could say like, well, you know, how is photos and lingerie going to do that for someone? They're it's, just silly it's photos. Right? your own sexuality because it's never been 
we've been taught that it's not ours or that it's something shameful, right? You can't be sexy. Don't be sexy because then men will look at you or then you'll be a slut or then you'll be whatever, right? You can't, you can't be it. I mean, I I've been dealing with that too, because before coming to Miami, I felt like I was always just the cute girl. And I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to be sexy. I couldn't be sexy. Um, but it was also like this sort of thing that I was scared to even want to be or try to be. And, and so I think like moving to Miami has helped with that a little bit because like people down here are much more comfortable being that. Um, but I think it's also just my own personal development that's allowed me to start doing it. Like the other day, it was super, super hot. And I was going to, um, like this wine bar, this outdoor wine bar for a friend's birthday. And I put on a pair of shorts, jean shorts and a tank top. My stomach was covered. I think. Yeah. My stomach was covered. My legs were out. My, I didn't have butt cheeks hanging out. I don't have big boobs, so they don't really show that much. And I felt like a slut. Like I had to text my friend and be like, yeah, oh my God. I had to text my friend and be like, is this too hoochie? Because my legs were out. My chest up here was out and my shoulders were out. It pains me that you would use that word about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Still. And, and like, this is still after I've already done a lot of work. Like I've done a boudoir photo shoot, not with you. I wish I was in New York so I could do it with you now, or I wish I did it when I was still there, but, um, I did one down. Well, I'll fly out. <laughs> okay, soon, soon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna manifest that. I'm gonna manifest. manifest. I'm gonna write that shit down. But um, yeah, it's like I still, even though I, I feel myself getting closer. You know, like for example, the woman that I did the boudoir photo shoot with, she asked me and like a couple of other women if we would come in and just do like a quick sort of group photo shoot for her to use as promotion. And I went and um, I had on this bodysuit that was a thong and it was like very high cut in the front down, uh, down, I don't know where you like by the pelvis. And I was walking around, my ass was out, uh, like my, my vagina was almost out. And I was just like, I was just walking around. And that's the first time that I've ever been able to be around other people, even women, like especially women because we're always, you know, kind of comparing ourselves and our bodies, but it was the first time that I was able to really be exposed around other people and not feel self-conscious. And it was so amazing. And then that happened where I was going out for my friend's birthday and I was like, wait, is this too hoochie? So yeah, I feel like there's so many things that, that are in our subconscious that prevent us from really owning our bodies our sexiness, our beauty. And then that flows into owning our sexuality, being able to say, yes, I like sex. This is the kind of sex I like. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want to do. You know, so that's like the first step I feel like, or, or maybe it all happens at the same time, because I think getting comfortable with your sexuality and, and the things that you like and your pleasure then also feed into you getting more comfortable with your own body and owning it and being empowered physically. So I, I think, think it, that any, yeah, I think that any time we deny a part of ourselves that 
should be there, right? That's natural to be there. It steals our magic from other parts of our life. Yeah. Right. And, you know, back at Barnard, it's a women's college. I studied psychology and, you know, you know, with an emphasis on human sexuality and then I did women's studies. Right. And so combining the two was always really important to me. Right. Like women owning themselves, their sensuality, sexuality, beauty, and power without limits nor boundaries, you know, from everyone, from other women, from the world, men, whatever, like owning it Mm -hmm. unapologetically, you know, like Mm -hmm. don't apologize. And I think that, you know, even though I didn't stand in my power in a lot of ways that had to do with success and where I wanted to do in life and following my passion and realizing what that even is, I think that the thing that I always stood in my power was I'm going to walk into a a room and I'm going to feel like I own it. Every woman should walk into a room and feel like they own it. And in the back of my head, it was like, you know, I'm not that hot as I'm getting ready. I'm like, you know, there are so many other women who are more beautiful, but at the end of the day, you don't need to compare yourself Mm -hmm. to anybody else. Right? You need to just own who you are and open it to the world. Thank you so much for listening, but we are not done yet. There is a part two to this episode, so make sure that you check that out as soon as it gets published, hopefully this week. If you would like to get in touch with Andrea you can do so on Instagram at Andrea B. Ballin Photography Uh, that's Andrea with two E's I will put it in the show notes so you can find the link there same thing with the website AndreaBBallin.com if you haven't done so already please add me on Instagram at Audacious Founder and if you like this episode please 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 leave us a five star review because that is going to help other people find it Thank you so much for listening and stay audacious.